Amen. Well, good morning. It's been good for us to be here already and to be worshiping together uh, like this and to sing praises to the name of our God. Uh, the other day I was having a, a conversation with my daughter and she was showing me one of her favorite passages of scripture. And I don't know if, if you have children or grandchildren, but uh, that's the kind of conversation that I'm, I'm greatly interested in. So we, we stopped everything we were doing and spent a little time uh, talking about this. And she showed me a verse that I want to share with you. Uh, it was a passage that she had highlighted in her Bible and she had written a great deal about it. And I just started thinking about even the, the content of this verse and what it means. And, and again, I just want to share it with you here uh, today. This is uh, Psalm chapter 7, uh, starting in verse 1. And uh, there we go. I want, to, I want you to see this. It's verse 1 there. It says, O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me. And then David goes on. He says, lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces with none to deliver. And, and off he goes. But, but that word that really stood out to me and, and stood out to my daughter in our conversation was that word refuge. And it was a powerful moment for me to hear her talk about what it means for God to be refuge. I said, what, you know, what does that mean? And maybe you would think about what that word means to you. Uh, a refuge is a shelter. It's a place of, of, of safety. It's a place of security. And we just kind of flipped through for starting in that verse and moving forward. And we found so many different places in the Psalms where God is praised as being Israel's refuge. Come to find out, there are almost 50 different references in a standard English Bible, 50, 50 different places in the Psalms alone where God is praised and acknowledged as being Israel's refuge. Here are just a, a couple others I wanted to, to share with you. Psalm 57 is one passage. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge and then this we sang these words a moment ago in the shadow of your wings I will take refuge until the storm clouds those storms of destruction pass by elsewhere Psalm 61 for you have been my refuge my strong tower against the enemy a place of safety a place where I'm secure when the enemy presses in and then in Psalm 141, again, this is just a few. But my eyes are toward you, O God, my Lord. In you I seek refuge. Leave me not defenseless. We understand the importance of, of seeking refuge around here, don't we? It didn't take us long after Sonny and I moved into the North Alabama, Tennessee Valley area 17, 18 years ago. It didn't take us long to figure out that around here you take those severe weather warnings really seriously. April 27th, 2011, if we hadn't figured it out before that moment, we sure did on that day. That, that uh, what they refer to as the, the 2011 super outbreak, the largest and costliest and one of the deadliest tornadoes in recorded history. Came right through Madison County, other places throughout the state, cost a lot of lives and, and uh, a lot of damage. You remember seeking refuge on that day? Or some of you were here in 1989, so about 20 years earlier. There was another tornado that came through this very area. And between uh, this, you know, from here to the parkway on Airport Road claimed about 19 lives, I believe. 
and did so much damage. And some of you were around. You remember seeking refuge on that day as well. So, so we understand the importance of you know, physically seeking refuge in a time of trouble. What the scriptures say is that the hallmark of the church, one of those hallmarks, the, the community of, of disciples we've been talking about for several weeks, one of those hallmarks is this, that we have found true refuge in the Lord our God. That in the, the work of the Father through the, the sacrifice, the life and the death and the afterlife of the Son, we have found true everlasting refuge. We have found shelter and we have found security and we have found safety. Leaning on Him, as the old song goes, we are safe and secure from all alarms. So we understand the import of seeking refuge. We know what David is talking about here in Psalm 7. And as you look through the scriptures, you find this idea of refuge coming up in several other places as well. What's really interesting to note is that from early on, the God of refuge, the God that David praises, the God who receives all these praises throughout the scriptures, the God of refuge specifically set aside places of refuge. In the Old Testament, in Judges chapter 20, you find this teaching, you find this command from God to set up cities of refuge in the land of Israel. Then the Lord said to Joshua, say to the people of Israel, appoint the cities of refuge of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the manslayer who strikes the person without intent or unknowingly may flee there, and they shall be for you a refuge from the avenger of blood. And then it goes on again. It says, these were the cities designated for all the people of Israel and for the stranger sojourning among them, so that they might find refuge. In his provision, God sets aside these cities, these places of refuge for those who are on the run. And so there are these six cities of refuge. You can see them on this map. Three on one side of the Jordan River, three on the other side as well. And these towns provided asylum for anyone accused basically of involuntary manslaughter. They could go to these cities and find refuge and safety. They didn't have to worry about the blood of the avenger. You know, what is that? Well, the, the one who is seeking revenge, the one who's trying to claim a life for the life that has been lost. You make it to one of these cities, God says, and you will find refuge. You find asylum. And he says this is not just for the Israelite, but it's for the non-Israelite as well. So it's a blessing for those who are sojourning and traveling within the land. It's not just a blessing reserved for Israel. And these cities were also Levitical cities, which means this was land that was set aside specifically for the priests and the priestly clans. So you picture these cities, you picture these communities, and, and this real vibrant sort of picture comes to mind. Uh, it's, it's a city that's made up of refugees and priests. It's made up of Israelites and non-Israelites. It's made up of people on the run and those who are prepared to receive them and offer them safe haven and offer them asylum. The God of refuge has set aside places of refuge where his people can offer refuge to others. And these cities of refuge are given names of great significance and meaning. 
Uh, you'll see this on the next slide here. Uh, the, the name of Hebron. In Hebrew, that means friendship. It means fellowship. Uh, this is a city of fellowship between Israelite and non-Israelite, between refugee and priest. Uh, you'd say this is a place where the friendless could find a friend. It's not a stretch to say that. Bezer is the, the name of another one of these cities. It just means stronghold. It's a, a city of protection. It's a place where those who are on the run can find safety and safe haven uh, from their enemies. It's a place where they would hear the message, you are safe here. The name Shechem, that just means shoulder. It's a place where the weak would have a, a shoulder to lean upon. Kadesh means holiness. So in that city, as in all of these cities of refuge, the holiness of God, the holy name of God was revered. Above all, even the desire to seek out vengeance. No, no, no. That was subservient to the holiness of God. Ramoth, not remote, <laughs> Ramoth means exalted. So in, the, in much the same way, in a city like Ramoth, as in all these cities of refuge, the name of God was exalted. And then Golan means separated, means captivity. So these are cities of refuge that have been separated. They've been set apart. They've been set aside by God for a very specific purpose. And they were to be places of refuge for those who are now cut off, those who are separated from their people. It's my belief that these six cities of refuge provide us with an Old Testament preview of what the church is supposed to be, what the church is supposed to look like. I believe that God intends for the church to function much like a city of refuge. That we are to be a community of people who are on the run and those who provide them safe haven and asylum. Those who are hurting and those who seek to care for those who are in need. And we do this because we too have found our refuge in the Lord. If you'll go to the next slide, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 4, we find this teaching to the church that we have a God who is a God of comfort. He is the God of all comfort. And Paul says he has comforted us in our affliction so that we might be able to comfort those in any kind of affliction with the very same comfort we ourselves have received from God. The church is a city of refuge because David's words from Psalm 7 have become our words, have they not? In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. So God still has a city of refuge today. It's, it's his church. If you go to the next slide, uh, for over 1,500 years, the Benedictine monasteries have emphasized the importance of one particular role, and that is the role of the porter. The porter had one basic job in the Benedictine monastery, and that was to answer the door. <laughs> when someone knocks on the door, the porter's job is to receive them and to open up the door. Now, you might not think that's a very important job, but the, the Benedictines would disagree. In their tradition, the porter served an essential role. One modern Benedictine author says, the way we answer doors is the way we deal with the world. And so the porter follows a very specific set of instructions. Uh, he's supposed to sleep near the entrance to the monastery so he could hear and respond in a timely way when someone would knock. Of course, in an ancient culture, hospitality was vital. 
You never knew what hour, day or night, someone was going to knock on the door. And so it was the porter's job to receive them. According to the instructions, the porter was to welcome guests with all the gentleness that comes from the reverence of God and with the warmth of love. So gentleness born out of reverence for God and the warmth of love. He was to embody those qualities as he received uh, the guest. And so as soon as anyone knocks, the porter is to reply, thanks be to God. So you get this, you got the knock on the door and the porter jumps up and the first thing he says, whether he's, you know, just falling asleep or if he's been asleep for hours, the first thing he says, thanks be to God. That's not the first thing I would say. If somebody wakes me up in the middle of the night, probably not you either, but the porter's job is to receive them. So knock on the door, he says, thanks be to God. And he is to rush to the door before he even knows who's on the other side of the door. Thanks be to God. He throws the door open and he receives them again with all the gentleness that comes from the reverence of God and with the warmth of love and then it's his job to go and to take that person who's knocked on the door to take this guest and to introduce them to the other monks so that they can begin to take care of his or her needs and receive them with hospitality. Logan reminded us a a few minutes ago that today is a pretty big day for us. Um, We'll have more guests here on our campus in a few hours than at any other single event that we do. Autumn Fest. We'll have more guests uh, around here this afternoon. And so uh, the way I look at that, you may look at it kind of differently. The way I look at it is that it's a great opportunity for us to live out our mission, to follow Jesus by loving God and loving others. We have a great opportunity to demonstrate love for others uh, today. Specifically, I think we have a great opportunity uh, to answer the door. There's a lot more at stake here than just passing out candy to people. Uh, that's not a transaction that I'm particularly interested in. I mean, that's great, you know. Uh, but the way that we receive people, I'm interested in that. And, and being able to receive people again like the porter does, with all the gentleness that is born out of reverence for God and with the warmth of love, that is something I'm really interested in because that squares so well with our mission. That is a way to show love for others. So this afternoon, I think we need some porters, don't you? I mean, I think we need a campus full of of porters who are ready to answer the door when our our guests arrive here on our campus. And so how, how many people do you think You'd have an opportunity to interact with. I know, you, you know, your kids may not be participating or you may not even have children. You may think, well, this is a children's ministry event, so I'll just, you know, stay home and watch football or I'll go shopping or do something else. And, that, you know, that's fine, but I would say it's not a children's ministry event. This is a, this is a moment for us. This is an all-church sort of thing. If we've, if we've been buying into this whole concept of, like, being disciples and, and sharing the good news with others so that they might come to know Jesus in the same way and calling others to to know Jesus and to trust Jesus and to follow Jesus, then this is, this is a discipleship event, not just a children's ministry event. Does that make sense? So you think, how many people might we interact with today who are hurting? How many people might we interact with today who are, uh, who are seeking refuge of some kind? I don't know, maybe, you know they're, maybe they're having trouble in their marriage. Maybe their job situation is a bit uncertain maybe they're scared to death that they're not raising their kids right (laughs) maybe they're like we don't have a clue what we're doing but we're just here getting candy and then we're on to the next thing how many people will we interact with who are just seeking that kind of that kind of refuge how many people will we talk with who are like in the wilderness spiritually speaking 
So today, you know, again, whether you have kids or not, I don't, I mean, who cares? Like, we need porters. <laughs> you know, we need some people who are going to answer the door. And I think this week, we also need some porters in our neighborhood. In your neighborhood, in my neighborhood, we need, we need some porters. Say what you will about Halloween, okay? Uh, I know some people are really uncomfortable with some aspects of Halloween, and I, I, uh, I understand those, those concerns, okay? But it is undeniably one of the few opportunities in a culture like ours that we, that we have to really like, get to know our neighbors, you know? It's one of the few times that people in my neighborhood are actually outside with the express purpose of interacting with people. There are a lot of people in my neighborhood who are outside. They're mowing their grass or they're, you know, running, you know, jogging, whatever, but they've got their headphones on. They're in their own world. You try to talk with them, you try to interact with somebody there, and you're more liable to scare them to death or, you know, or, or things could turn kind of crazy. But on, this is one of those few opportunities where people are actually outside and they're actually, you know, not going to, like, jump and be scared to death if you come up and interact with them. I guess maybe unless you're dressed like a goblin or something, you know, maybe some of you enjoy hiding in the bushes to scare people, but um, no, it's one of those few times we have to really like interact with our, our neighbors and with people. And so, so I would ask you again, how many people do you think would ring your doorbell this week? Probably fewer than in years gone by, but still, how many of those people do you think would be people who are deeply hurting? How many people will ring your doorbell this week who, you know, you, you, you probably wouldn't know it, but deep down you think they're really just, they're seeking refuge. They're looking for somebody they can talk to. They're looking for somebody they can trust. If you participate in any of the, the trick-or-treating that goes on in your neighborhood this week, I would just ask you this. Could you just, could we just view that as an opportunity to receive people in a way that reflects the love of God? And who knows, like, something simple like that, that could change things. How cool would it be? Some of you are going to think this is crazy, you know, but I just, this could be really cool. How cool would it be if your home became a city of refuge for someone in your neighborhood? Somebody in your neighborhood who's, who's just, just looking for somebody they can trust and somebody they can talk with. And something as simple as passing out a piece of candy and starting a conversation could could provide that for them in the long run. Wouldn't that be something? <laughs> you think God could do that? If you go to the next slide, uh, someone has noted that people will forget what you say, but they will never forget. They will always remember the way you made them feel. They'll forget what you say. I don't I guess this is ironic, but I can't even figure out who it was who originally said that quote first. Um, According to, I thought that was funny. According to the internet, uh, it could be one of about a dozen different people. But it doesn't, it, doesn't, I mean, it doesn't really matter, you know, because it's just so true. People will forget what you say, but they'll never forget the way you make them feel. So most, for most of us, our words are eventually going to turn to dust. The likelihood of somebody remembering exactly what you say in a given moment is pretty, pretty low. But they'll always remember the way we made them feel. That's the power of emotional memory. And I think that's a word of wisdom for us as we seek to be faithful to the mission that God has given us. Will our guests this afternoon, will they walk away feeling honored, welcomed, 
received with love, or again, in the words of the porter, you know, where they feel welcomed with gentleness that is born out of reverence for God and with the warmth of love, or will they feel something else when they remember their experience on our campus? A few years ago, there was an issue of Time Magazine that highlighted 240 reasons to celebrate America right now. And number 77 on the list was Waffle House. You'll go to that slide. Uh, the article praises Waffle House for its reliability. There are over 2,000 Waffle House restaurants in the United States, and each one of them is open 24 hours. So the writer of the article pointed out uh, that, that Waffle House is so dependable that FEMA actually has what they refer to as a Waffle House Index for natural disasters. Did you know this? So when a natural disaster comes through, one of the ways that FEMA has of classifying uh, the seriousness of the natural disaster is whether or not the Waffle House is closed in that community. They're like, if Waffle House is closed, you know it's a bad natural disaster. I don't know if that gives me more confidence in our government or less, but that's kind of the way that they approach natural disasters, okay? So in this article, they interviewed this one guy uh, who, who owns this really fancy high-end New York City restaurant. And they said, we would love for you to go eat at Waffle House and report back what you find, okay? And so, so this, this entrepreneur, this businessman, he runs this fancy New York restaurant. He goes to Waffle House, and he comes back, and this is what he says. Go ahead and go to the next slide. He says, uh, what I loved about it is that there's no ego there. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. He says, there's no pretension. He says, it's, the place is just welcoming to everybody. He said, visiting Waffle House was a reminder of how important hospitality is. And then this line, he says, we just felt so taken care of. People ought to be able to say the same thing about the church, don't you think? That was welcoming to everybody. And we felt so taken care of. That, that the church ought to be a place where there's no ego no pretension, a place where everyone's welcome, a place where everyone's so taken care of. That's church as a city of refuge. Go to the next slide. Uh, I think we're a welcoming church. I do. But I think uh, we could always do a little, a little better job. One of the things that I think keeps us from, from welcoming one another more fully sometimes is our size. Has that ever kept you from really like getting to know somebody or greeting somebody or welcoming somebody. I can't tell you how many times I hear this from somebody. They'll say, okay, I saw this person, you know, at church, and, and it kind of looked like they were new. And I almost came up to them and said, well, hey there, you know, you know my name is Jason. Are, are you all new here? But, but they'll say, but I didn't do that. And I said, well, why? And I said, well, because the last time I did that, I came up to somebody and I stuck my hand out. I was like, hey, you look like you're new here. And they said, well, no, actually, I've been a member here for 20 years. You know, how long have you been here? And so it was really like this embarrassing sort of thing, and that, that can happen. But I think that, that keeps us sometimes from receiving one another and welcoming one another and really getting to know one another. So I, I think we need to give each other permission to get to know each other. I'm just talking in this room here. You know, we need to give each other permission to do that, even if it means that we embarrass ourselves right? I mean, don't you think the church ought to be a place where we're, we're kind of a city of refuge uh, from that fear of, of embarrassment? I, I kind of think that's what we ought to be. So I would love to just today give you permission to embarrass yourself 
by getting to know somebody around you that maybe you haven't, you've never introduced yourself to, and you don't know if they're a guest, and you know, like maybe, the, maybe it's their first time visit here, or you know, maybe they're great, great whoever planted this church all those years ago, or they're somewhere in between. It doesn't matter because we're going to try to get to know each other in a more intimate way. We're going to welcome each other. We're going to be a city of refuge for one another here. I, I'll tell you, I know that fear is real because I, I live with that. One of my fears is that one day you're going to walk down this aisle and ask for us to pray for you, and I'm not going to remember your name. <laughs> like, that's a fear of mine. It really is. Uh, I know a lot of names. I even quiz myself by going through the directory, seeing if I can remember names, okay? So I take it seriously, but I don't know everybody's name. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a human being, and there's only so many things I can remember, and I tell you what, that, it, <laughs> that, that space on the hard drive seems to get smaller and smaller the older I get. Can you relate to that? So, so, so I'm just telling you, that's happened recently. Somebody walked down this aisle, and I had to say, I, I'm sorry. I hope you'll forgive me, but you're going to have to remind me of your name, because I can't remember it right here and right now. So if you are there, and you have this kind of fear, like, I am right up there with you, I'm at the front of that line, okay? But for me, personally, I just think in a, in a group this size, we need, to, we need to give each other that kind of permission to receive one another like this. We were talking about this as a ministry staff the other day, and Leanne Benson made a really great suggestion. Leanne's part of our team. She's always out here kind of on this side, uh, signing people in and, and getting, um, getting our young babies kind of registered and takes care of preschool, nursery, all that kind of stuff. She said, you know, here's what I do whenever I see somebody. I'm not sure if, if they've been here for a long, long time or not. I just walk up and I stick my hand out. I say, hey, I'm Leanne. I don't think our paths have crossed yet. She said, that just sort of, I'm not going to get into the whole thing. How long have you been? You look like you're new, whatever. She just says, I, I think our paths haven't crossed yet. That's a pretty benign sort of way of saying, I, I don't really know you and you don't really know me, but let's, let's fix that. I thought, wow, that, that's a really great way to say that, isn't it? So today, maybe we can give each other permission to come up to each other and, and to say, you know, I don't think our paths have crossed yet. I think it's a great way for us to, to interact and get to receive one another. A final aspect of this, and we'll wrap up. Another aspect of welcoming one another is to remember kindness. To remember kindness. You know, we're commanded to be kind. Ephesians 4.32 says simply, be kind to one another. And I have to be reminded of this, that kindness is not in proportion to similarity. What I mean by that is this, it's easy to really to, to, to demonstrate kindness to the people who uh, are in my life with whom I have so much in common. So, uh, you know, that's easy, but what about those with whom I have some real differences? How important is kindness then? If you go to this next slide, uh, a couple of weeks ago the internet exploded. Maybe you saw this, okay. Um, there's a television broadcast of an NFL football game. The Dallas Cowboys were playing the Green Bay Packers, okay? And they cut away, as they always do, they show celebrities in the, in the stands. But they showed this picture of former President George W. Bush and talk show host Ellen DeGeneres sitting together in the owner's suite, and they were sharing a laugh as they watched the game. Now, you might already know this, but George Bush and Ellen DeGeneres have some differences, Okay. They don't see eye to eye on everything. Ellen joked, she said, well, for starters, he roots for the Cowboys, and I'm a Packers fan, you know. Um, but their differences are much, much deeper than that, like super deep. 
And, uh, and as a result, uh, some people were really shocked. In fact, they were angry, some, that, that these two could sit next to one another at a football game. And so, uh, so what happened is the angry masses did what they always do. They go to Twitter, and uh, they started ranting about this because that's kind of the culture we find ourselves in. But I love what Ellen said in response to this. She acknowledged that she and the former president have different points of view. Uh, and that some of those differences are quite significant, okay? But she said this, when I say be kind to one another, I don't mean only the people that think the same way that you do. I mean be kind to everyone. You can go to the next slide. That, that sort of kindness is, uh, is increasingly rare in our world, don't you think? But it takes me back to God's vision again for that city of refuge, uh, a place where those who are on the run are met with kindness and not hostility. The world is filled with enough hostility and hatefulness, but the church, man, the church stands as the refuge of kindness. In fact, the scriptures tell us that God's spirit working among us bears this kind of fruit. Galatians 5, kindness is part of what God's spirit is doing in us, so that means there's an expectation of kindness. I've come to the point where I expect hatred and hostility in the world every time you open up any sort of social media, watch the news, or whatever. It, you just, it's just going to be there. But when we enter into this space together with God's Spirit moving among us, the expectation ought to change. Instead, we ought to expect kindness. And the sort of kindness that extends not just to one another, but, you know, that's, that's first base but a kindness that extends outside of these walls to those we don't share fellowship with yet. Last slide, William Barclay is quoted as saying, more people have been brought into the church by the kindness of real Christian love than by all the theological arguments in the world. I wonder how many people around us today will simply be seeking refuge from the world of hostility and hatefulness. I wonder how many people in our midst are just looking for a little kindness. The God of refuge specifically sets aside places of refuge. So may his church be a city of refuge. May it be a place of hospitality and kindness. May it be a, a place for refugees and priests. May it be a place for people on the run and those who are ready to receive them in love. This word is given in the name of Jesus Christ, the sovereign Lord, who makes all things new. He who has ears, let him hear. Let's stand together now and let's sing.